How's it going, everybody? It is currently 4:55 in the evening on Thursday, October the third. We're finally, we're finally in October, and in Tennessee, it is still 95 degrees at five o'clock. But I digress. It's time for this week's trip down the homeward path. This is the show by me. My name is Adam. I am a husband, father of three, work a full-time job. Somehow, some way. We're gonna we're we're trying to make at least semi-competitive magic work. We're on a budget. We don't have a lot of funds to spend. We 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 don't get to play as much as maybe some other people. The pro tour is not the dream. If we get there, it'd be nice, but it's not the dream. It's it's not what we're here for. However, that doesn't mean we don't need to compete. And that's what I'm here. That's what I'm here for. Again, as I mentioned last week, when I first when I first started the show, I was looking for something like this, the the F and M Heroes podcast, if you will. So that's 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 who I'm for. But if you're if you're on a higher level, if you're grinding PTQs or doing Grand Prix and SCGs, and you learn something that helps, by all means, you know, let me know because that's that's appreciated too. <laughs> Anyway, again, while we were away, standards in full bloom on Arena, and it looks to be a very grindy, grindy format. Uh, lots of lots of sweet stuff going on. Lots of uh, lots of innovation. A lot of brand new decks coming to the forefront, which was a little surprising to me, considering. I don't know the the combination of bad mana and outside of a handful of cards to me at least relatively low power level in Eldraine. Maybe I'm just maybe I just misread the set completely. I don't know. But we're gonna we're gonna touch on that for a minute before uh, jumping over into our main topic, which is going to be on the benefits of proactivity. Because being proactive definitely has its benefits. And if you want to take advantage of those benefits and be proactive while, you know, improving your playing space, you can head over to our sponsor at inkgaming.com and use the promo code CCMTG10, get 10% off your order. That'll uh, redecorate your playing space, making it even more fun to play. Uh, you know, awesome stuff is awesome and you should probably buy it, regardless of whether it supports the show or not. <laughs> And if you want to be proactive about improving your magic game further, check out the content on constructedcriticism.com. Uh, this week's episode marked two very special occasions. One, the return of Matt Kling as the co-host on Constructed Criticism. And two, the announcement of a tournament series, a quarterly tournament on Arena with $500 store credit to Oasis Games up for grabs. So... You don't want to miss that. I know I don't. If I if I can help it. Uh, all of that. If you want to be proactive about helping me continue doing the show, head over to Patreon.com/HomewardPathMTG and become a patron, just like Christopher Kilbrand did this week. Uh, again, it is my favorite email to get. <laughs> 
Someone, it is an email that tells me somebody likes what you're doing enough to help you keep doing it. You know, whatever it is that I've been doing has meant enough to someone that they want to help me keep doing it. And that's, that is something I always, always, always deeply appreciate. So, from the bottom of my heart, Christopher, and the rest of you, I really appreciate it. Uh, the next patron goal is going to be an upgraded headset. I've just got to source one. <laughs> so, I, I don't know what the price looks like yet. I've got to kind of, I got to do some digging, figure out what I want to get. All of the, all the shilling, all the, you know, horrible, sleazy money, protect my you know, investors thing out of the way. Uh, let's dive into the content for the week. So, Eldraine Standard started, and for a lot of people, it has felt unusually grindy. You know, the one of the better decks in week one of this standard format is Green Black. The aggro decks are bad, just actively bad against this onslaught of mid range. And you know what? That's okay. It's not the first time this has happened to me. Uh, the best way I can describe it is I'm drawing parallels to Lorwyn Standard. Because Lorwyn Standard was in a very similar place. Time Spiral didn't have great dual lands. Not at all. Time Spiral, like the, the land cycles throughout the Time Spiral block was, were just not competitively viable. We had the storage lands and then we had uh, one land from five different cycles in Future Sight. That's what we had for... for, for multi-color multi lands. And then I believe at the time we may have had play, uh, pain lands, but I'm not, I don't, don't quote me on that. So then we got Lorwyn, which had tribal duels and nothing else. Tribal duels and vivid lands. Those were, those were the, the lands we had to work with to make mana work. So, needless to say, mana was pretty awful in Lorwyn Standard. And when mana is awful, aggro decks tend to be worse. Unless a, a single color has just an embarrassment of riches at the one mana slot. You know, the ability to play these one drops in a meaning, you know, in a not having to make concessions in order to play the best one drops of your deck, essentially. And ironically enough, one of the decks that kind of rose to prominence during that time, and the deck that was the most popular at the time for sure, was it was green-black elves. But it was really just kind of a green-black aggressive mid-range deck, playing enough elves to make Ren's Run Vanquisher good. That sounds a little bit like today, doesn't it? The, the Golgari Stompy decks are really just either mono black or mono green aggro splashing for some removal and some, some creatures that fit both decks. You know, the Gruul decks are built around long, about bigger curves. Mana's terrible. And when mana is terrible, the format tends to be slower, tends to have a little bit more of a grindy feel to it. That gives rise to these ramp decks that can kind of go over the top of all these mid-range decks. We didn't really have one during that standard, but it didn't take long. I mean, 
the only reason we didn't have one in that standard is because we didn't have good ramp payoffs at the time. We had a set chock full of old and like returning mechanics and new mechanics and just all kinds of weird stuff going on with, with time spiral, a whole bunch of different stuff happening at once. And then we had tribal synergies in Lorewood. Wasn't a whole lot of, a uh, whole lot of meshing going on there at first. Uh, just a weird standard format. And that's kind of what we got going on here. We've got two, we've got two kind of design philosophies at odds with each other because Guilds of Ravnica standard is about multicolor. You want as much multicolor as you can get. The mana was easy because we had the, the check lands and now we roll into to Eldraine and we have all these adamant cards and these restrictive mana costs and the mana's awful so you can't play them in decks that play other colors reliably. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> like, it is a really bad time to be a fan of Rakdos or Gruul aggro. Am I right? Like, proper low to the ground, kill you on turn four or five aggro. Because the mana's just not there to make that deck consistently viable. Like, you can obviously build it with the mana that we have at our disposal, uh, figure out ways to fit cards like Rugged Highlands or Fabled Passage into your curve, but on the whole, like, the deck is just not as good. And that's what we're running into right now. That's why these ramp decks are so good. It's why these these uh, green-black X mid-range decks are so good. It's why decks like uh, the, the Sultai Food or the the Bant mid-range with Oko and Teferi and maybe Hero Precinct 1, probably not. Like, it's a, it's a period of exploration, and it's a period where the format is really slow. The format's a little bit mana inefficient at times. Like, you can, you can prey on mana inefficiency if you try hard enough. Uh, a deck like Simic Flash is a perfect example of that. It's a perfect foil to the direction the format is trending. Counterspells naturally prey on mana inefficiency. They just do. So that's something to keep your eye on. Eldrain Standard shaping up to be really, really sweet. Uh, I happen to like grindier standard formats. I just I happen to like standard formats in general, first of all. But I like grindy standard formats because they just they they provide that little bit extra of a mental challenge, right? If most of your games are going to be a grind, it feels good to win a lot. It feels good to win more of them than you lose. Versus like last standard format, especially if you were playing a lot of best of one, you could just kind of queue up basic mountains and small red creatures and destroy people. And that brings me to our main topic for this week, which is about the benefits of being proactive. Being proactive in, in, in deck choice, in deck building, in, you know, willing, you know, in, in how you approach tournament play as a whole. When I say being proactive, I don't necessarily mean being aggressive, always being aggressive. Let me just get that out of the way. A proactive deck does not necessarily have to be exactly an aggro deck because a deck like Storm is a proactive deck. A deck like 
A deck like Jund is arguably at least a proactive deck. So what is the benefit to being more proactive than reactive when it comes to deck choice and construction? The first benefit, regardless of the size of the event you play, and I, that, this is very important for me to throw out there, because it's really easy for me to say, well, if you're not playing exactly a PTQ or a, a, a Grand Prix or an SCG Day 1 or you know a 1K or you know something where you're playing a lot of rounds, this doesn't matter. But the fact of the matter is, it does. It matters a lot. And that is mental fatigue. You get less of it when your deck is proactive. Whether it's Storm, like you know how to execute your plays as long as, as long as your opponent doesn't throw off your math too bad. If it's actually just an aggro deck where you just have to figure out what outs your opponent has to your hand. Or even a deck like John, where you look at your opening hand kind of line it up against what everybody else is, you know, line it up against what they're doing, take a peek, get some information, and now you know how you need to play the rest of the game. Like, having a little bit less wear and tear on the old noggin definitely bears out in results from time to time. Some of the best tournaments I've ever had were playing decks with really, really simple, proactive game plans. Even when I was playing a deck like the the one that won me my first local tournament, I was playing blue-black. It was a tap-out control deck with Jace the Mind Sculptor and a lot of removal spells and card draw. Most notably, a pretty strong, a pretty high number of edict effects during the Callblade format. So board states were relatively simple. Edict effects would get a lot of mileage. It was a fun deck to play. But notably because it was so very good at doing what it was supposed to do in game one, it made it that much easier to sideboard for your game two and three if you needed the third against the decks you were maybe not as favored against. That's, that's important. That's an important distinction to make here. Because even that is a little bit easier on a little bit less of a strain on your brain. It, it goes without saying that sometimes just the person who survives the tournament is the one that wins, not necessarily the one who who plays the, the absolute best all the time or the one who plays the perfect 75 for what's what everybody else is doing in the room. Sometimes everybody's just had a rough week at work. You all show up to play or, you know, work, rough week at work, rough week at school, just got out of practice, you know, whatever – you show up to play and you're just the one who's the least tired because you save a little bit of wear on your, on your, on your mind while you're playing. The second, the second advantage to being proactive and the, the only other one I'm going to talk about is the idea that you are less, you are less likely to be absolutely demolished, like absolutely punished for registering the wrong 75. In other words, if you register an old version of a deck or if you register a version that hasn't been updated in a little while. And this kind of bears itself out in some of the stuff that I've experienced playing Arena in the last few weeks. Uh, in getting ready for Eldraine to release, I think it was probably the last week of August, maybe the first week of September, I realized my gold pool was a little bit less than I would have liked. 
So I got on and my goal was to win four games a day with whatever, you know, do what I had to do to finish my daily quests and then win four games a day. That was going to, if I finished my daily and won my four games, that would get me upwards of a thousand gold a day. So as long as I stayed with it, I could be pushing upwards of, you know, 25,000 gold by the time the set released. Obviously, I was writing myself in a few days off because, you know, family life happens. But the decks that I was playing for this, I was playing Is It Phoenix, I was playing Model Red Burn, I was playing uh, uh, Green Black Midrange, and then I was uh, White Weenie, and then I had the Blue Black Terramander shell that I've talked about on Riding in Cars twice now. And all of those decks, the, the closest one of those to being a control deck, the closest one of those to being a reactive deck is the blue black Terramander. because you have a lot of, you have a little bit of play as to when you want to play stuff. Like, you know, there's a fair amount of reactive instance in the deck. If you want to use them card at the time, it was cards like cast down tyrant scorn, but for the most part, you're just trying to make sure your opponent doesn't amass a big board state. And it's funny that I should use the word amass because the deck plays under the God Eternals, but I digress. You're just kind of trying to make sure things don't get too out of hand. Keep the board state fairly simple, and then you jam a, you know, a highly efficient threat on the table that will close the game out in a hurry. Whether it's a Terramander, a... Uh, embodiment of agonies or uh, god eternal Kefnet, like those close the game out in a hurry even just the token left behind by your uh, your enter the god eternals like that'll close the game out in a hurry if you can just make sure the board state stays fairly clear game plan's simple game plan's concise game plan is proactive even though your goal is to just kill stuff it's it's a very proactive deck because you're going in with the mindset that okay Creatures are not going to beat me. You know, you're, you're proactively shutting off a portion of the format. Making it easier on yourself. And then when you sideboard, you can sideboard for the more controlling decks. That's an advantage that we really, like, is, is desperately underrated. And it, it falls under the guidelines of something that I've heard time and time again. There are no wrong threats, only wrong answers. In the case of the, the Blue-Black Terramander deck, the hope is that when you draw the wrong answers, you have used a combination of thought erasure and then your card selection and your, your efficient threats to put yourself in a position to win the game that way. You know, figure out what your out is and just play to it. In the case of every other deck I've mentioned, you're just naturally a very proactive deck. And if your opponent doesn't have the right answers, they just die. Like, I can't stress that enough. With, with proactive decks, whether it's something like, you know, Mono Red, Mono Red Cavalcade, uh, the Green Black Stompy deck right now, Boros Angels last format. It's a proactive deck, even though it was playing cards like Lava Coil and Definite Clarion and all these things that would conceivably be difficult 
you know, difficult to line up correctly and you'd think the decks were a little bit more reactive and you'd have to play different ways based on what you're playing against. Not really. You just kind of jam creatures on the board and attack with them. Sometimes they block. Sometimes they're just smashing your opponent's face in while your opponent digs for removal. You know, your, your proactive decks, it is really hard to build a proactive deck wrong. What I mean by that is if you if you go in with the mindset of, you know, I want to reduce my opponent's life total to zero as quickly as possible. As long as you're making smart card choices, you will have a functional and effective and sometimes it'll at least feel this way, powerful deck. Even if maybe it's a little bit outdated or maybe you should have consulted some other lists like... When I was doing the, the gameplay that I was doing for Arena, I was still playing the old Jim Davis list of, of uh, Is It Phoenix with the Augur Boluses and the God Eternal Kefnet and the, uh, you know, all the Tormenting Voices and Charter Course and you know, Augur Bolus replacing Goblin Electromancer so it robs you of some of your explosiveness but gives you a benefit of more of the, the, the grinding capability. And even though I hadn't updated the deck in a few months, it was still really good. It, you know, it was, if I had to guess at a win rate, it was still somewhere around 55, somewhere between 55 and 60%. I was winning more than I was losing. Even though the deck was outdated, I kept saying to myself, I need to update this. I need to update this. And then I just kept forgetting to do it. So, you know, there's, there's benefits to be had for sure to just playing your stuff out and making your opponent have it. And you know what? Sometimes they do. But if they didn't, they were going to die. And that takes me back to one of my favorite quotes I've ever read, which is, there's no substitute for the virtual card advantage of killing your opponent. And that's, that's something I mentioned in the aggro decks episode. It's something I've mentioned in the past many times. But it's, it's, a, it's a line that still rings true to me to this day. Even like in the, the blue-black Terramander deck, the goal behind that one is to create a situation where you can flip the switch, turn the corner, and just put that thing away before your opponent can recover. While it feels very much like blue-black control in many of your early turns, where you're playing cards like Thought Erasure and using some card selection spells and using some 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 removal, you eventually hit a point where you just start raining five fives on your opponent. Like you just start raining giant flying creatures and by that time, your opponent is either exhausted of resources or they're playing a deck that has a better long game than you and you have to start trying to win or you're not going to win anyway. But the idea of being proactive, again, less stress on the brain, which is great as someone who already has plenty of that at home every day, every, sometimes it feels like every hour of every day. Uh, getting to take a little bit of a load off in that regard is something I like. And then being less punished if you're maybe not 100% up on top of trends. Like, 
proactive decks still kind of do what they do, even if the format shifts. You know, there may be an extra predator or two for them in the format, but like they still exist. You know, the Command the Dreadhorde deck was around for a long time. And as soon as another deck came out that was competing for that slot, like we had decks like Command the Dreadhorde, we had decks like Teamer Elementals, we had Bant Midrange, we had you know, all these decks that are supposed to be absolutely hostile. Hostile to these red aggro decks. And what was the most played deck on Arena? By a pretty substantial margin. I'm not talking just at the top of the ladder. I'm talking about all the way up and down. Because if you're like me, I don't have time to grind the ladder. I just got to get my games in and get out of here. What's the most played deck on there? It's, uh, it's Mono Red Aggro. Because your games are over quickly. You know, that's, that's the other benefit. If I had to pick a third benefit to being a proactive deck, by being a proactive deck, you have you get to play more games of Magic in the same amount of time, or if you're in a tournament setting, you play the Magic and then you have more time for the gathering. So, I mean, it was definitely a lesson I learned the hard way for many years. I am super glad I took what I did to the Grand Prix in Memphis this past year. Uh, Mono Blue Tempo was a really good choice because while it ha it was a deck with a bunch of counter spells and it you know obviously feels like it's trying to play really 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 hard magic to learn. At the end of the day, you're a deck that wants to load up small blue creatures with enchantments that make them a little bit bigger and draw your cards. Get a little bit ahead and then just make sure you don't lose the lead. Just don't lose the lead. That's all. So, I mean, at the end of the day, that's the goal, right? Just make sure whatever you're doing gives you an opportunity to win the game. And one of the easiest ways to do that on, on a time budget, you don't necessarily have to test your proactive decks as, as much, admittedly. Like, that's another benefit. Like, you definitely want to as much as you can. You definitely want to. But you're, again, not punished as badly for not being 100% up on top of everything. I can, you know, a deck like Mono Red Prowess and Modern... Once I, once I play it enough times, the residual muscle memory just kind of picks up and you, you maybe have to make three or four decisions in game that might be different. A vast majority of your games at this level anyway. So the idea behind just picking something that does a thing, does that thing really, really well, and just tries to leverage that thing in a, in, a, in a way that will close the game out in a hurry if it gets to do it. That's what I'm talking about when I'm saying be proactive. Whether it's leveraging a bunch of small animals and attacking your opponent to death quickly, or uh, leveraging a bunch of discard spells and efficient one-for-one -one removal into creating a board state where a Tarmogoyf and a Liliana of the Veil will go the distance. Or, a, you know, leveraging the idea of getting a handful, a grip full of spells, casting a whole bunch of them and killing your opponent in one shot. 
or you know getting getting Felidar Guardian and Sahili Ryan play at the same time. Like being proactive, I you look back at the history of magic. And the most broken decks of all time. Not not just the 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 best decks of a given format. But none of the most broken decks of all time with one obvious exception from the very first pro tour like Basically, none of them are reactive decks. All of them are proactive. Miracle Grow. Talarian Academy. High Tide. Prosbloom. Uh, goblins. Fires. Uh, Jund. In, in Alara Standard or in Modern over the course of Modern's history. John. Infect. Affinity. I mean, you could argue that while Callblade had its pseudo control game top end, what made that deck broken was the proactive plays of Stoneforge Mystic and Squadron Hawk. The ability to turn on a fast game against other slow decks. That's what made that deck broken. When it was just Squadron Hawks and Jace the Mind Sculptor and a tap-out control deck, it was like good but not great. Teamer Energy. Hazaret Red. Atarka Red. Jeskai Ascendancy. Storm. I can go on, I can go on like this for hours. Because frankly, like out of the entire history of Magic, the only deck that really felt truly broken that was reactive was the deck from Brian Weissman. So, at the end of the day, when formats break in half, it's usually not in favor of a control deck. So just keep that in mind. And with that, that's going to wrap us up this week, everybody. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I may not be able to get an episode of Riding in Cars up next week. It is going to depend on how things go tomorrow. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my daughter, Esther, uh, she is five years old, going to be six in December, and she is having surgery in the morning. I am uploading this Thursday night for that reason. Uh, she's having surgery in the morning. So, you know, she's having a surgery to close the soft palate at the back of her mouth for interested parties. Uh, she was born with multiple heart defects and a cleft lip and palate. The surgery is to fuse the, the area at the back of her soft palate that is causing difficulty both with swallowing and speech. It's her sixth surgery of her life, and it is utterly terrifying for all of us. But the fact that this is her sixth gives us a lot of hope that everything's going to be fine. Obviously, every surgery is nerve-wracking. But that is why more than likely there will not be a Riding in Cars with Cards episode next week. Uh, and if you happen to be in the Nashville area and want to come show your support... 
Uh, we will be on the third floor of the Vanderbilt Children's Hospital just waiting to, to find out when we can go back and see her when she gets done. So if you want to come by and show support, uh, sit with us, talk with us, just help us pass the, the hand-wringing waiting time, uh, any, any amount of support is greatly appreciated. So... Thank you for that. If you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at HomewardPathMTG. If you want to find me on Facebook, my name is Adam Spain. If you want to uh, join the Facebook group, the Homeward Pathfinders, you can submit a request to join. One of the admins will look it over. If you look like a decent enough human being, we'll give it a shot. Uh, if you are a patron of the show, you gain access to the Discord. Uh, patron Pathfinders, wherein uh, $3 patrons will gain access to the ability to have their decks published on writing in cars with cards get them out there get a bunch of people working on them uh and that brings me to my favorite segment every week and we we have some this time uh, i'm gonna have to edit a little bit because this is a family show but i love me a pun i love puns i love dad jokes and it just made way too much sense for my Twitter outreach program to be hashtag MTG Dad Jokes. Uh, once I found out that was a thing, I was was all the way in on it. So the first one comes to us. It's a series of these, and these are just absolute gold. Uh, Yo at Yeoman5 says, not being able to fry Oko is miserable. Let's be real. And Mason replied, I'm about to grill you for this tweet. And Yeoman replied to that, said, I'd like to sear you try. And Mason says, I'm not that good at wordplay barbecue. <laughs> Yeoman says, rap battles, but it's just awful magic puns. And Trey says, I've been training my whole life for this. <laughs> and of course, it came out the day after I recorded last week's episode. But I digress. I, I laughed at that for a solid 15 minutes. And then our only other one is from Brian Sharp, who says, famous last words in a magic house. You didn't say please, followed by a thud and a deafening silence. And that's the correct order to play those in if you're playing like some kind of weird Jeskai commander and you, know, you counter their counter with didn't say please and then you kill them. Um, whatever. I kind of want to do that now. I kind of want to like create a giant creature just so I can make that that exact combination of things. Didn't say please is one of my favorite magic card names of all time. Not not one of my favorite magic cards of all time. Let me just get that out of the way. It is definitely grade A flavor for what the card does in the title because didn't say please is the perfect way to frame counter target spell. <laughs> it is just a thousand percent the perfect way to frame that ability. So that is incredible. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening. That's going to wrap it up for this week. Again, if you are going to be in the Nashville area, uh, she goes in for surgery at 11 and then we're just going to be waiting. Third floor, Vanderbilt Children's Hospital. Uh, Vanderbilt Children's Hospital. Uh, we would love to see you. Uh, support. 
as, as my little girl goes through another surgery is always, always, always appreciated. And even if you're, you, you aren't, aren't slash can't be there in person, you know, positive vibes, prayers, whatever it is you believe in, send them. We'll take all of it. So, uh, again, no riding in cars on Monday. I'm just, I, I'm not going to be at work. I'm, you know, we're going to be making sure everything's okay post-surgery. And we'll be back for another episode of Homeward Path next week. I don't know what we're talking about yet. So, uh, questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, let's have them. Let's get a conversation going. And I'll catch y'all next week. Thanks again. Bye-bye.